Hello and welcome to Bridging the Gap podcast. So um, I'm here with uh, Reverend Dave Lawther. I'm going to follow up on Sunday sermon. Um, what do you do with your weekend, Dave, before we get into the podcast? Uh, and your, your bank holiday? Well, since we have got a house, woohoo, thank you for yeah. your, your prayers. We've basically been scraping and yeah, tidying up the whole place. To be fair, we had a, well, a small army came came around <laughs> yesterday and helped do lots of stuff like de-weed in the gardens and stuff. Yeah. Um, I was talking to my neighbor yesterday and I think he was slightly in awe of the small yeah. force that came in. And quite quite an age range as well. Am I right in saying that I think Eva Hall was the youngest member of the, the workforce uh, yesterday? Some might call it slave labor. I, <laughs> <laughs> I was very grateful. Um, <laughs> Yeah, grateful and that's sort of like embarrassed, but also mm. like very thankful. Yeah. You, whenever people are willing, well, whenever people can help and have the time to help, yeah, you're sort of just overwhelmed by, yeah. and then you turn into a foreman, a dictator. <laughs> like, do this, do this, do this. Someone's got to do it. Yeah. So actually, while we're on this, before we get into the, the meat of the podcast, uh, what, what's got to happen in the next few weeks then for, for you guys? What needs to be done in the house? What could we be praying for? Uh, um, I think essentially everything needs to be done, uh, which is quite funny. Um, the boiler in the house is 30 years old, so we need to yeah. replace that with a new combi boiler, I'm told. Mm. And then we need the rooms painted, plastered, new carpet, new bathroom. Wow. New kitchen. <laughs> yeah. Just a few things. Then. So there, there's like lots to be done, but the most urgent thing is probably the boiler and the bathroom. Okay, so shout out if anybody knows a boiler, someone who can fit a boiler next week for Dave and Amy, yeah. let them know straight away. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I think it's one of those things where, yes, there's stuff that needs done, but it's not unlivable in. Right. But it's just what are you prepared to live in? Yeah. So lots, yeah, we're very thankful. But the reason why we're able to get the house is because it needs so much work. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And, it, and it happened relatively current climate relatively quickly for you six guys, weeks yeah unheard of anyway so before i make this into a podcast about dave and amy's new house because i'm i'm interested um yeah. let's move on yeah <laughs> um so dave you preached to us from hebrews 2 you did the whole of hebrews 2 for us on sunday yeah um and there was obviously the 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 line there about people drifting away yeah uh, you, you you had four truths you brought out in the sermon yeah um how are these four truths ones that make sense of people drifting away? What's what's the connection there? Yeah, because I said at the start of the sermon, didn't I, about how um, these will help us not drift away. But whenever people do drift away, the reason why they drift away is because they forget these great truths. Yeah. So, you know, we drift away whenever we're not regularly hearing God's word preached mm -hmm. or reading the Bible ourselves. Uh, when we don't remember you know, we're made in his image and we're to resemble, real, relate yeah. on behalf of him. Uh, whenever we forget or are ashamed of our church family or of our Lord, we tend to drift, don't we? Mm -hmm. And then when we forget that, you know, the Lord Jesus dealt with our greatest fear, the fear of death. Yeah. Whenever we forget those things, of course, we're going to drift away from, well, the Lord church because we're forgetting mm -hmm. these incredible truths of the gospel, essentially. Yeah. I mean that, and that's that's clearly for people who are Christians or professing to be Christians is is the main emphasis there. Yeah. But often in our sermons, we'll address people who are skeptical about the Christian faith. Yeah. So 
I mean, people will probably notice that's what we do from time to time. Yeah. Why do we? Do, why do you do that? Yeah, <laughs> uh, I suppose we do that because we're hopeful that there are skeptical people in mm. the congregation. Yeah. So those who aren't Christians and are sort of listening in and want to find out more. So we're sort of anticipating those sorts of questions that are popping up in people's heads. I suppose as well, we're trying to answer. We're trying to equip Christians in how to answer those sorts of questions. So, so the show. Uh, if you're hearing these sorts of questions from teammates, classmates, work colleagues, you know, here's how you might answer them. And also, yeah. I suppose ultimately, we want people to feel like they could bring a skeptical friend along to church and they'd hear some of their questions answered. Not all of their questions, but definitely some of their questions. It's yeah. some of uh, Paul's stuff in 1 and 2 Corinthians about having non-believers in your midst yeah here in the gospel i think that's really important isn't it not not just because we i think that's a great way of putting it not just we want skeptical people there in the room because yeah. <laughs> yeah. we do but because um we have questions from friends and family and also we get skeptical ourselves don't we yeah exactly Sometimes, if we're honest yeah there, there are times we do so yeah that, that's good um okay here's another bit, bit of a bit from left field this one but yeah. why uh in verse six does yeah. the writer say <laughs> you did touch on this i think but there is a place where someone has testified. So what's going on there? Has he just forgotten his Bible reference? And and also, you know, first of all, has he forgotten where that's come from? And secondly, when you look at the text of Hebrews, he keeps throwing in Old Testament text, and he, and he doesn't say, oh, in Psalm 22 it says this. Why, why is that? What's going on there? Yeah, I think I think I made a joke about this, and I landed flat on Sunday, so I should have <laughs> just actually explained what was going on there. I think he is writing, well, knowing that the people he's writing to know their Old Testament, yeah. so they'll know the scriptures. But I, I read one of the commentators saying that the author is trying to emphasize that it's God ultimately who's speaking. It's mm. not prophets, it's not angels, it's the Lord speaking. Yeah. So he, he's ultimately saying the source is divine. It's the almighty God who's yeah. speaking. So in some ways, some ways it doesn't matter where exactly in scripture this falls because ultimately it's coming from God's mouth. Mm. I think that's yeah. why it says in some place, and he maybe doesn't feel the need to flex his uh, Bible knowledge like some <laughs> of us do. And it's largely, I get you, it's about the audience, as you say, isn't it? So if we're in a life group on a mm. Wednesday, Thursday night, and we quote Genesis 1 verse 1, we're probably not going to need to say it's Genesis 1 verse 1. Yeah. Say, in the beginning, God, yeah. people, they know what we mean. So yeah. it's about that too, I, isn't it? I remember being in a prayer meeting as a student and someone was, praying and they can't be like and in Habakkuk 2 verse 2 you say this and I'm sitting there I'm like I wonder if this guy prays like this all the time because the Lord knows what yeah, he yeah, says in exactly. Habakkuk like he's saying this for our benefit how yeah. well read he is I don't think we have to give chapter and verse every time do we? so what is Habakkuk 2 verse 2 then no idea <laughs> gonna be looking that up later now yeah um and here's, here's another one again from another slightly different angle again just, just lots of really annoying what about this Dave questions in the first part this morning yeah um so it says that uh, Jesus was made for a little while lower than the angels. So the the question, not a skeptical question, but a how does this work question. Yeah. Was he really made for a little while lower than the angels? Because the whole point of chapter one that we've been looking at is how supreme and awesome Christ always has been and yeah. always will be. In what sense is he made a little lower than the angels? I think the writer is saying that he's made a little lower than the angels in the sense that he's become a human being. Mm. Humanity is lower than the angels. I think Philippians 2 would be helpful as well, where Jesus humbled himself mm. by becoming a, uh, in the form of a servant and humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. I think a Christmas carol, if it's not too early, or Christmas carol can, Never help, too early. can help us here when we think about uh, 
the glory of his deity in chapter one. So veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, mm. heal the incarnate deity. So in John's gospel in particular, whenever Jesus does signs and wonders, John says that it was Jesus manifesting his glory. So yeah. allowing people to see what was veiled. So that's how we mm. sort of make sense of this and being lower and yet still being the cosmic king that we see in chapter one. Yeah, nice. And so we'll follow up question to that, which kind of links to a question I had in my head, because it's it's saying that humanity, including Christ himself in his in his ministry, is a, is for a little while lower than the angels. Yeah. So we're not lower than the angels forever. Links to this question, I guess. How does Jesus' glory become our glory? That was the point you were making Sunday. How how does that work? Yeah, I think I made the point in a previous sermon, Sam's, about that how the oh that's annoying. I don't know if that's... Sorry if that was you and Dave just cut you off. No, it's still going. That's fine. Let's keep cracking on. <laughs> uh, I think I made a, made the point in a sermon that Jesus, the king's joy or glory is our joy. Mm. So whenever the king succeeds, we're, we rejoice in it. Often, Matt, you pray uh, for your glory, Lord, and for our joy, mm. which I always find quite helpful. So 2 Corinthians 8, I think is helpful here. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty yeah. you might become rich. Yeah. So Jesus' glory is our glory in that his perfect life, his righteous record, becomes ours. Yeah. So when he returns, we're not filled with dread because his glory, his divine rule and reign, isn't mm. bad news for us. We are part of his kingdom. Yeah. Uh, I thought about illustrating this way, Matt. I don't know if it, if it works, but... If Wales won the Rugby World Cup next year, which, which they're going to do, which is a horrible thought, um, <laughs> the team would gain the glory, right? The trophy, mm -hmm. but their glory would become the glory of the nation, right? Mm. Is that? Yeah. No, the, the, the idea of representation, that's what's coming through all this, isn't it? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I, I, I quite like that. Yeah. Should have used it on Sunday, maybe. Because <laughs> a lot of the church fathers were quite strong on this, and I think when they centuries and centuries ago that, you know, him becoming low to become one of us to lift us up to take us to where he is to make us like him we i think we so emphasize the cross and the atonement sometimes don't we quite rightly yeah. we miss that that side of things as well which is yeah. wonderful yeah so does he here's another one of these annoying is this really true i, yeah. I know the answer is going to be yes but <laughs> does he really know what it's like to be one of us because again chapter one is making the point jesus is cosmic royalty it's a bit like when people say about the royal family you know yeah well they they know what Life is like, do they really? They're royal family. <laughs> if he's cosmic royalty, wasn't it easier for Jesus in some way? Does he really know what it's like to be one of us? Someone might ask. I feel like I have to answer yes because you're like, obviously, the answer is sorry, yes. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. Doing a lawyer thing, leading question again. No, but I think absolutely he knows what it's like to be one of us because although he was cosmic royalty, though he was rich, he became poor. So mm. born into a stable worked in a quiet unknown town doing an unimpressive trade mm. uh you know we could probably assume that he experienced the loss of a parent yeah uh, he suffered his friend lazarus's death if anything actually that cosmic royalty made life even harder for him because mm. he knows how he designed the world to be and he knows like whenever jesus cut himself stubbed his toe mm. experienced the effects of the fall not that he Say, yeah. but as he he lived in a fallen, a fallen world, world yeah he uh he knows what it's like so mm. i suppose to circle back to that illustration from sunday 
He's run the whole race perfectly, which means that he knows what it's like, you know, running a race. Yeah, uh, it gets you get tired. It's it's hard. It's mm. et cetera, et cetera. So yes, he does know what, really know what it's like to become one of us. That's so important, isn't it? If we believe he's truly man, and it's something we'll come back to in Hebrews, and we think about him being tempted like us. That it, we, you can say the same thing there, can you? Well, it wasn't so hard for him, and no, actually. It was harder because he experienced the full strength and temptation and everything the devil threw at him yeah. as a true man. Yeah. Um, so another way of asking a question, it's a bit like the questions above. Is this section about us or is this section about Jesus? Because you know, can you say more about the link between humanity failing in our mandate and what Jesus has done? This is a theme we've already touched on, but can you say a bit more about that? Uh, is this section about us or is it about Jesus? I think all the Bible is about Jesus and about the Lord. Hmm. And then that filters down into how we respond to him. So um, this is about Jesus primarily, but naturally that then applies to us. You know, you could say, I suppose, the whole chapter of chapter two is an application of chapter one. Because hmm. he says, therefore, at the start, doesn't he? Yeah. And we read in 2.16, for surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. So it is about us and how Jesus ultimately helps us. Yeah. I suppose. The, the psalm that he's quoting, Psalm 8, is about mankind, their exalted position in the universe. But naturally, whenever we think about mankind, we then are led to think about the perfect representation of humanity. Mm. So, so there are layers of meaning. You know, For example, if we only read David and Goliath as a story about David facing a giant, we'd be doing it this service because there's a bigger, yeah. there's a bigger point behind that. Uh, narrative isn't there so mm. I, I think that would be the answer is about the lord jesus but then that ultimately yeah we learn truths about ourselves as yeah. we read these passages don't we yeah that's that's good uh, i love the point you made that the lord jesus is not ashamed of his family he's yeah. not ashamed of us his brothers and sisters um that there's even a sense in which he's proud of us as his people you know when you mm. use that word proud it's like, oh, really and I, as i yeah. reflected on it i thought yeah i think that's yeah. But I think that's right. Yeah. Because it's the opposite of being ashamed. Yeah. 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 Um, but uh, can you lay out how that fits with our indwelling sin? So I accept that he's not ashamed of us as his family. I think that's wonderful. But then I'm conscious of my sin even today. Mm. How how do those two realities fit? Yeah. I suppose um, the illustration I'd use here is isn't it true, Matt, that you can feel immense pride and love for your children mm. and yet at the same time have a a good a good sense of dislike for their bad behavior <laughs> and their sin yeah yeah and if we're capable of that duality is that the right mm. word of feelings towards one another towards our family how much more capable is the lord yeah. because he is totally you know we read those things in zechariah and no zephaniah and rejoicing Re over us with singing yeah, yeah. revelation yeah. So this can be true, and yet he can also be totally disgusted by our sin because when we defile it, we defile the temple of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So, so that's how I'd answer it. And, yeah, and that, that's helpful again because I was thinking about Revelation when you said about um, him being proud of us. And I, I know that's not a Bible word, being proud, but yeah. you look at Christ presenting his bride yeah. and the, the wedding feast of the Lamb and, and how he views his bride mm. that that looks like glowing pride doesn't it yeah um despite her flaws until that day he's proud yeah to, yeah to own her it's a isn't an oxymoron there's no such thing as an ugly bride like mm. it's not possible mm. and that's 
Yeah, the Bible goes yeah. as picture language, doesn't he? Yeah. Okay, so it it was um a startling thought in a way that Jesus knows what it is for his family to be ashamed of him, mm. as we can sometimes experience. How can that help someone in their interactions with friends or family who are ashamed of them or angry at them for their faith? How does that um how does that help us? Yeah, I hope that applied this on Sunday, but I think uh, I suppose it helps because you pray to a God who understands your pain. Mm. He's not distant, far off. He, he's not like, oh, I wonder how that feels. He knows exactly mm. how it feels. I think as well, you can find comfort in the fact that, you know, whilst you may experience shame from your own family, you've been born into a new family mm. who who aren't ashamed of your of your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. And he's given you that family in the sense that there will also be other people in your church who mm. will have shared that same experience. So I suppose it helps us because he knows our pains. He knows exactly what it's like. And he also provides us with his word, his people, his spirit to, to comfort us. Yeah. So I think that's how I'd, I'd yeah. say it, it applies. It's a lovely thought. Another lovely thought. I also loved when you said, um, God has dealt with our greatest fear. Yeah. Talking about death. Mm. Um, that that was a really comforting thought. And then the other thought that popped into my head that, but isn't it true? I'm asking all these awkward but questions this morning, Dave. Sorry. Yeah. Isn't it true that Christians are sometimes also still afraid of death to, yeah. to some degree? And, and if that's the case, is that a sinful lack of faith? How do we fight the very human fear of death? Mm. So he's dealt with that that greatest fear, but sometimes we still feel it, don't we? Yeah, yeah. I think I was listening to something Tim Keller was speaking about his cancer diagnosis, and mm. he was saying that he isn't fighting cancer; he's fighting his sin. And the yeah. point he was making was that if he was perfectly resting in what Jesus had done and the hope of heaven, he wouldn't be so afraid of dying. Mm. He wouldn't have that sinful fear of death, which I find quite helpful. Yeah. The idea of you know. There's part of us that fear death because of unbelief. Mm. Whereas I think you can be afraid of death in an unsinful way. So for example, you see Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, don't yeah. you? And yeah. he is, he's terrified of what's about to happen. Mm. And so it, it, it's true. We can be sinfully afraid of death, but we can also unsinfully yeah. be afraid of death. So it's, mm. it's a bit of, it's a bit of both. And I think it's important for people to hear that, isn't it? So, so that you can, you know, share that with other Christians sometimes yeah. and ask them to be praying for you. It's, it's not something to, to simply be ashamed of that that fear of death sometimes wells up. Yeah. Yeah. And again, Jesus is a merciful and faithful high priest. So he knows what it's like to be afraid mm. of death. Yeah. Plus, I suppose I've, I've seen in the lives of Christians and I experienced it myself, this fear of death, but then I've also seen Christians, um, older Christians usually at, at the end of their life and, and they, they just have such grace for that moment that the, the fear of death, it's not always the case, but so often you see that fear of death is simply gone and that, yeah. that's God's grace in that moment, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and uh, we just need to be reminding ourselves of these truths as we run the race. Yeah. Wonderful. He's dealt with that, that final fear and that last enemy. Yeah. So talking about enemies, how, how does Jesus break Satan's power? That's something you, you, you touched on. Yeah. How does Jesus do that? Yeah, I think it's important that we do this question because I imagine that will be the sort of question we get in a life group. So uh, let me read verse 14. So mm. 
he, that's Jesus, might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. Mm. For surely it's not angels he helps with Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. So the answer, as always, is in the text. How does Jesus break Satan's power? We read in verse 17 there that Christ makes atonement or propitiation for the sins of his people, and that's how he breaks the power of the devil. So what do I mean by that? Time and again, in the scriptures, uh, the devil is described as the accuser. So he accuses God's people of their sin. We see that in, in Job, for example, and in Zechariah. He mm-hmm. accuses them, saying that their crimes, their crimes they've committed against God need to be paid for. But when Jesus lived his perfect life, died, rose again, he's dealt with uh, the devil's accusations because Jesus' righteousness um, is placed on us and he's paid for the the crime of sin once and for all so when god looks at us he sees that that death has been paid once and for all god's righteous anger at sin has been poured out on jesus so the the power is broken you know atonement Hmm. at one moment atonement was made the wrong was made right jesus propitiated god's anger Hmm. you know the the word pro is helpful there isn't it god is now pro us because of jesus he's no longer against us so that's that's how he breaks yeah preach it yeah (laughs) (laughs) wonderful wonderful truth um and as we're starting to draw to a close on another wonderful truth not connected to the sermon but to communion yeah i think this is a query you had from somebody on sunday morning actually which is a really good one it's it's so good you know people are listening and saying well how do you back that up scripturally you said about us eating and drinking again with jesus one day and i know i've said that before Mm. Uh, what do we base that on can we say that we will actually um, as his disciples, that the 12 disciples will eat bread and drink wine with him again one day? Yeah, good. It was a good question because mm. the person who asked it to me said, I haven't heard that before. Where do right. you get that yeah. from? Which I've been taught if you hear something new, be suspicious of it. Mm. Um, so I'm really glad that question came up. So there's a couple of different Bible passages to refer to that didn't immediately spring to my mind on Sunday in that. I did the classic, oh, it's in the gospel somewhere. I couldn't actually <laughs> you know, point directly to it. So uh, first, Jesus stated that he would one day eat again with his followers. So Mark 14, 25, truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of that vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Second, we see that the resurrected Jesus ate. So, you know, in Luke 24 yep. they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them mm. which is what he also does in john 21 your uh, aber passage yeah um so then we see in revelation 22 uh the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month so it mm. appears there's fruit and food in the in the new heavens then mm. revelation 7 16 i suppose this might imply something you know they shall hunger no more neither first anymore so that could be they'll be perfectly satisfied but perhaps that means there'll be no need of 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 food or drink but mm. we'll we'll still enjoy it that's that's speculation just to say and then fifth i suppose i find this no there's two more actually i find this helpful in matthew 8 verse 11 i tell you many will come from east and west and recline at the table with abraham isaac and jacob 
in the kingdom of heaven. So here it seems to imply that you know, fellowship will be had over food with the saints of old. And then mm. Revelation 19.9, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So people eat at a marriage supper. So again, reasonable to expect that there there's a celebration in heaven involving food with the Lord. So yeah, I think... You know, one or two of those speculation, of course, but the picture painted in scripture is one of eating and enjoying eternity with our Lord and the good mm. gifts he's given us. It's quite a picture that accumulates, isn't it? Yeah. And, and we were talking about this off air, weren't we, that that especially with the gospel passages, it's mm. not like sometimes with the revelation imagery, you've got to decide how much, how, to what level does the imagery work. When you're in the gospels, you, you take that face value literally, unless there's good reason otherwise. Yeah. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to eat this and drink this with you and yeah. you and my father's kingdom. Yeah. What a, what a thought, what yeah. a wonderful place to, mm. to, yeah. to finish the service thinking about that. Yeah. Uh, Matt, I have con- a confession from Sunday. So oh. in the, in the, we did the confession mm. the PowerPoint slide didn't work with the confession. Yeah. I cannot say the word. Negligence. Negligence. I really. Brilliant. I'm going to try and get you to say that now. I really struggle with it. I just can't do it. I need to properly slow down and stop. And my plan was since we're all going to read it together. Yeah. I was just not going to say that. That would be covered. Yeah. You'd be miming. Someone else, like the (laughs) congregation, would say it. But then when the slides didn't work, I knew I was in trouble. And Amy said to me afterwards, she was sitting in the congregation. And as soon as she saw the word, she was like, oh, no, we're in trouble here. <laughs> she, I can't remember whether you said it or not. I didn't notice. I, I lit- The worst bit of it, Matt, was I went, and then I laughed. I went, because <laughs> I knew, Actually, I do remember you laughing, I yeah. I knew, because I couldn't say it. Actually, the words didn't come up on the screen. But since Amy's from Church of England, yeah, it's the... Is the one from so if anybody's wondering why Dave chuckled as he was confessing, confessing that it's, was why it's because I was like, I'm rumbled. <laughs> to be fair, I didn't pick up on that. Well, but you'll be, or, you'll be or, sorry you've just admitted that to the whole church or, now. Dave. One or two people afterwards were like, What's the word? What's the n word that's in there? <laughs> the confession, and I was like, No, 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 no. Somebody else reminded me the other day of something that we we don't regularly say, um, the Lord's Prayer in church, and I and I, and I don't think we need to say it every week, I think it's a pattern prayer, isn't it? Mm. But there is something lovely about occasionally doing that, so we should probably work that in from time to time. The Lord's Prayer confessions can really help us. Although, just as a confession, and while we're on confessions, I have... is this a negligence? Of no. Confession of negligence. No, I uh, say it, Dave. I, I say, our Father who art in heaven, mm-hmm. hallowed be that. I use the thys, yeah, thy kingdom comes. And whenever you're, if you're leading from the front, and yeah. say, let's all say together the Lord's Prayer. Mm. If I'm leading, I will say that eyes. And yeah, everyone same, same else here. will be like, uh, what do I? You got me wondering now what I say. I would say trespasses as well. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd do that version, definitely. That's what but I, I feel with. some people in the congregation might just get a bit all over the place. Okay, I, I, I'm going to have to think about that one now. Well, we need <laughs> to have it up on the screen. Like, we're going to say this version yeah. together. Yeah. So, yeah. That, what a way to end the podcast. <laughs> um, the podcast comes in for landing and crashes yeah. <laughs> we've covered a lot of stuff there yeah we are. but uh, yeah looking forward to sunday um peter baker's coming along so yeah. first time we've seen him for a while and heard him and then dave the week after that you're picking up and um, we're back to alternating and yeah. he was getting you and i aren't we so and looking forward to that wlf this yeah 
Friday, Saturday. Yep. This uh, this this week actually, isn't it? Um, yeah. A few of the things were cancelled because of the Queen's funeral. Yes. But yeah, WLF this week. Don't forget that. And um, yeah, that's the WLF link with Peter Baker being there on Sunday. Look yeah. forward to seeing you then. Nice.